open up your books, you bad apples. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. I'm Lucas Nord. And I'm Cole Lang. And if you read the title of this uh, episode here, it's probably... I mean, it makes sense that the title is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest Part 2 because... You know, we did part one last week, and two tends to come after one with, like, movie sequels and stuff. I have heard about sequels for movies, though. I can't remember which one specifically. I know Hot Tub Time Machine wanted to do it, where they wanted the first sequel to be, like, Hot Tub Time Machine number three. The search for the sequel or whatever, you know what I mean? That's pretty fun. I think they wanted to do that with Spaceballs, too. I don't know, but I just, I think of Lion King one and a half, the straight to VHS DVD release. That one was fun. What, what do you think of Lion King one and a half? You know, I thought it was pretty fun that it was like the behind the scenes of Lion King one. You didn't see the background work of everything going on. And that's pretty much what happened. I think it's told from Pumbas and uh, the the meerkat Timon, uh, the, their point of view in in uh, the first film. So that was pretty the fun. Whole, they they switched it up a bit. The whole movie they tell from their point of view. If I can recall, it's been about ten years, but they do a couple good musical scenes about digging tunnels, and you know, it was a lot of fun. And uh, isn't there like a Oh, I was going to say Shrek, but they just call it Shrek the Third. Yeah. Uh, I, now that you mention that, though, I really wish that, like, every movie, well, maybe not everyone, but I'd like to see some movies from other characters' points of view during the first thing. I feel like that might be what Cloverfield is. I never saw it, but I thought, isn't that first movie? Well, I suppose if it's multiple people from different angles, that's different than two movies with separate characters on the same timeline. But, you know, we're doing part two. Part we two of one. Part, part one, yeah. uh, two of two. This, okay, you said it exactly how I was going to. Part one, two of two. The book is broken down into four parts, but the first part takes up half the thing. Yeah, And before we get down to talking about part two, did you perhaps have a bit of a recap to treat us with, Cole? Oh yeah, so in part one, we're introduced to the ward itself and Chief, our, our storyteller. We're, we're, here, we're seeing the story from his point of view, um, and we get to know Nurse Ratchet a little bit, the stern matriarch of this whole ward, and uh, her workings, and all, all of the all of her aides um, that you know enforce enforce her rules basically. And then we're introduced to McMurphy, the man who's right. going to bring chaos to ever to to the R- whole thing. Randall Patrick. Uh, good old RP. Yeah, um, I think those are good initials for for someone's first name, and I've never heard them before either. RP. Yeah. RP McMurphy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what a guy. What a character. You know, he's oh, a big a... loud guy. 
Yeah, uh, his uh, his like personality is as large and booming as like his entire uh, well body doesn't really make sense to call booming, but maybe the other way around. His his body is as big and booming as his personality. That still doesn't make any sense. I just said the same thing twice. I'm gonna stop uh, talking now. Uh, that's okay. Uh, his his personality is as big as a tractor, like Chief would say. Chief has some good stuff here. He's uh, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same with Nurse Ratched. So you got these two big forces going at it, and where we left off is Harding was basically he's he's the leader of the group now, but um, McMurphy is just introducing himself to everybody, and he wants to be the new Bull Goose Looney, and he's oh. really testing the system. And Harding's like. I don't know about that, my friend. You're going to be here for a long time. And we are immediately introduced to McMurphy already causing a ruckus, running around. They were they wanted to stick that uh, thermometer. thermometer where the sun don't shine, and they wanted to give him the pills that he didn't want to take, and they wanted him to shower, and he's just saying, no, 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 I'm not interested in any of that stuff. Thank you very much. Yeah, and from the start, you know, he's... He's, a, he's causing chaos and just from a little thing of not taking a shower and well, I guess, you know, nobody wants a thermometer up there, but, but, you know, well, he, he, he denies it. And see if I could say too, I enjoy taking showers, but I probably wouldn't if someone like, you know, made me do it. Was doing it well, for pro- you. Yeah, I might, I might enjoy it then too. I guess I don't really know. It's never happened to me before. Yeah, yeah. Never been in one of these uh, wards, so no, couldn't sir. tell you. But with that, you you have anything else you wanted to add from part one? Mm, we get a setup for pretty much every base character in the book. You got the big nurse. Her aides play a pretty large part, even though I think one of them maybe doesn't even get a name through the whole thing. And we're introduced to Randall Patrick, as we talked about. Big, brassy voice, uh, scars on his face, gnarled hands, red hair. Tattoos. And a a motor, yep, uh, tattoos and a motorcycle cap. Is he talking about the one with the goggles on it? Because he's wearing a beanie in the movie, and I couldn't help but notice the beanie, but Chief, oh yeah, Chief is also the other big character that... Well, literally the big character that we're going to obviously see the whole book through the lens of. Harding is important. We learn a lot about him going through the whole thing. And we're going to get introduced to more characters as we go on. But we pretty much have our main ensemble here. Yep. We also have Billy Bibbit, who Billy Bibbit. has a stutter. And then there's a bunch of other minor characters. Um, oh, but the- we were, of course, introduced to Martini. Martini, yep, uh, one of our favorites. Yep. And other than that, I, I think that's most of the people we were introduced into t- uh, in part one. It's also pretty cool how quickly Ken Kesey has like all their motivations written out. The, the big nurse isn't even in the room for two seconds before Chief's description like sets this perfect image. She's this robotic woman with a skin-colored enamel face and, you know, the starched white outfit that you could hear the 
uh, you could hear Crinkles. it like crinkling crack every time yeah. she like moves an arm and that tiny thin smile on her face and you know it's also just very descriptive in general it's like uh, she's looking like the 1990s Laura Croft where she she's like very pointy ah, that's how her yes <laughs> that's how her uh, you know dresses all very creased corners and just looking like a polygon <laughs> not a day goes by i don't think about 1990s laura croft from tomb raider uh she she was very pretty very pretty sure yeah um without further ado i suppose if you wouldn't mind you know at this part in the show we usually start talking about the book i'm not sure if you've been uh well, I suppose this is what the thirteenth episode, the thirteenth real episode we've Ooh, recorded. Yeah. Thirteen, wow, that's crazy. Wow. Oof. Let's hope it isn't unlucky. Am I right? Nah. Maybe for some of these characters, we'll find out. We'll find out here. So, nice. yeah. So the second half of part one opens up, and this is just like our where we decide to take back on or uh, leave off at, and. Uh, so Chief, he explains that Nurse Ratched has basically full control of time in the war by controlling how fast or slow the clock ticks. Um, so like she makes time go slow during the excruciating parts, which is usually the meetings where they belittle each other. And then she speeds up the clock during visiting hours when, you know, they're actually having a PR rep and everyone has to be on their best behavior, including the staff. And then he also says that during the slow times, the fog turns into like a chemical gas, like maybe mustard gas or something. And he explains that McMurphy, once he's came to the ward, the fog has been receding. And with the whole time thing, it's one of those things where I think he's just kind of envisioning Nurse Ratchet going up to the clock and changing it. Uh, but I'm not entirely well, sure. I, I picture it more as just a per- perception of time thing. You know, Chief yeah. is clearly always somewhat, he's got one foot in his own personal brain or whatever. But I, I just picture when they sit down, he's probably just like staring at the clock harder. Or, yeah. you know, meetings could be boring. So it feels like they go by slow. And then when you got, you know, I don't know how many of these people have friends and family to come visit them, but when you do, time probably flies. Yeah. You know, because you're having the only fun you can have in here. Well, that (laughs) is until old R.P. McMurphy showed up. Yeah. You you enjoy Nurse Ratched's mandated fun, you know. Yep. It's her her version of fun and nothing else, and it's just... (laughs) It can be music that's turned up all the way that everyone hates, but... (laughs) We'll That's another thing. That's another thing. I don't want to be told when to have a shower. and I don't want to be told when to have fun. I can figure that one out perfectly fine on my own. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell people still got to tell me when I can have fun, you know? Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I'm just putting on a front. If someone wants to tell me to have fun right now, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, have have a blast. Um, Nurse Ratched, she leaves for the evening 
and while the guys are gambling and she turns up her music to a full blast that is played on repeat obviously mcmurphy this is this would be annoying but he he gets angry like he's one to test the system and he's like why why the hell are you guys like putting up with this and the rest just barely notice it anymore they describe it as like a heartbeat like it's only there if you are actually listening like you're breathing or like noticing your breathing or your heartbeat kind of thing uh and, and it's just like not good music either i think it's like classical like just classical stuff oh uh, a little ludwig von a little ludwig von yeah they aren't playing the greatest hits of the 60s you know a little uh, grateful dead Low Grateful Dead. I think that actually might have been the most important part to bring up in the recap that I failed to mention was last week we learned that the writer of the book uh, was allowed by the lead singer of the Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia. Uh, They wanted Ken Kesey to put a baby in his wife. I think that was actually the most interesting thing I learned last week. Yeah, I'll probably talk about that on every episode now. <laughs> no, know. this this scene really reminds me of that time when Ken Kesey impregnated the singer of Grateful Dead's wife. <laughs> the way Chief describes the mental fog receding as McMurphy enters the room reminds me of that story about Jerry Garcia and Ken Kesey. And how and how confused Jerry Garcia must have been when the author of this story was impregnating his wife. Yeah, I don't know, man. You know, some things are just better left up to the imagination. I don't think we need to know how they worked the entire deal out. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I want to know, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, so they continue to gamble until lights out. Uh, and then the the evening nurse she starts to hand out their nighttime pills, quote unquote, and she becomes scared upon the sight of McMurphy and drops the pitcher of water. And McMurphy he's trying to genuine genuinely try to help her uh, with his quote scarred tattooed hands, to which she responds, quote, "Stay back, I'm a Catholic." Um, uh, a dollar for every time I had to pull that one out. <laughs> get back with those swear words. Uh, I'm Catholic. I'm a Catholic over here. <laughs> can't, can't you tell? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Just just the sight of McMurphy um, is enough to make this. We don't really know if she's like a good Catholic person. She's. Uh, this is the only time I recall her, but yeah, she's like really scared and drops this pitcher of water. Um, Either way, <laughs> uh, she's Catholic enough to get the fear of God scared into her by McMurphy. I think yeah. that's about as Catholic as you gotta be. Yeah, a devilish figure, and it makes sense because he goes back to his bed, oh. and Chief sees his tattoos, which includes an M one M one rifle. A Ooh. devil and a <gasps> poker hand. So you just got all three of the deadliest sins. <laughs> you say <laughs> and one. all three of the you say you say all three of the deadliest sins. I say he took his like um, tattoo inspiration from Grand Theft Auto Five. Wait, you know, somebody has all three of these? 
No, you know, Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> you go to the tattoo parlor and it's like the it's like the flaming skull. It's like oh, the flipbook yeah. tattoos. That's what McMurphy's got going. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. I was like, I don't recall any of the characters having all three of these no, tattoos. No, that no. would have been In, very impressive. <laughs> I suppose. I was hoping it wouldn't be too far reaching, but now that I'm already explaining some of it, you know, online you go to the the tattoo places and you can get yeah, like the giant dog on your chest and all that Ooh, kind of stuff. It sounds like wire. McMurphy. It sounds like McMurphy just kind of threw uh, darts to pick out his tattoos. Yeah, well, I mean, a rifle, a devil, and a poker head. Yeah, dude. Yes, sir. And it really disguises personality too. You know. Yeah. Re- really bleeds through. Oh uh, yeah. So, so McMurphy tells him to look out for the aide. He's telling Chief this, and and this aide is coming to strap him to the bed, to which Chief responds by kicking off his shoes and getting in bed, which is kind of weird. How, to, how yeah. did Chief know? And then once the aide leaves, McMurphy starts laughing, and he says, Why, you sure jumped when I said that aide was coming. I thought someone told me you was deaf. Okay, now... I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but I don't remember him saying aid in the book. Is no. there, am I having a lapse in memory right now or am I thinking of a different part? Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I'm doing, I'm, we're going to leave that where it is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He uses the, uh, the same racial slur that would be used that's like a rocket from guardians of the galaxy except for not in an innocent way no um but what we do learn is that mcmurphy probably caught on to chief's game the second he laid eyes on him because he's he yeah. uh you know tells this big deaf guy that someone's coming and chief doesn't even think twice before <laughs> he springs into the bed and mcmurphy's like oh that's kind of funny I didn't know you could. I didn't know you could hear. I thought someone told me you was deaf. Deaf. Yep. Exactly. So, Chief, you know, McMurphy is enough to kind of, kind of even throw the wrench into Chief's uh, works, and like he, he really is clear by clearing up this fog. It's really messing with Chief. But at the same time, he is really scared of these aides. <laughs> like, like him being uh, told that the aide is coming is really scary because they do strap him down, and uh, if they don't cooperate and everything, so. And they already tuck him in with like saran wrap by the sounds of it in the book. Even if you aren't strapped down, the the starched sheets are coiled around you so tight that you can barely move all night. Yep. In a a nice cocoon. Um, Ah. Yeah, so nice. But so so Chief, he doesn't take the pill, which puts the patients in deep sleep. Like when you get your nightly pill, it's like a sleeping uh, drug. And he starts to describe the ward as a giant machine full of furnaces, brass tubes, and wires. So like these big burning... uh, ovens and whatnot and he sees workers above him on like a catwalk one of them snap their fingers and point towards blastic who's this uh chronic who is a vegetable so the worker comes over and he's like dragging this meat hook with him 
on a chain like that's connected to this catwalk and uh he puts this guy on the meat hook and slashes him open but only ash and rust falls out instead of guts and everything vivid storytelling here yeah yeah um he it's interesting that guts don't fall out by or anything because like with ash and rust falling out it's just kind of saying that these vegetables are fully incorporated into the machine that is the ward um or yeah like they just don't have any humanity to them in general either yeah even if they aren't part of the combine yep so like everything just kind of sucked out of them um but of course this is another dream that he's having and he is awoken by an aide that has the smell of an alcohol on him like he's very drunk and he he notices that blastic the man he dreamed up dreamed of is dead and being carried out by the aides and he notices that he's being handled way more carefully than he had been when he was alive so like they're crazy yeah like it's just kind of a disgusting detail that it's like oh he he's dead now even though he was pretty much like his personality was dead they treated him much worse but now that he's dead they're handling him so carefully which is just an an unfortunate fact of life that i'm sure continues in many places to this day yeah yeah well even in nursing homes there's like lots of reports of abuse and stuff like, like this so really vivid imagery but it shows that a lot of these dream sequences is like chief you're kind of onto something <laughs> like <laughs> yeah what are we doing here chief yeah what are you what are you how do you come up with this how do you dream of this <laughs> where do uh, you come up with this stuff <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the gum you hide under your bread bed that's you chew. oh man the, <laughs> the bed gum how could i forget about the bed gum oh man you can't the... wait till we talk about the bed gum yeah he even puts it in his pocket sometimes and like pulls it out with lint <sighs> and all and he just has like multiple things of gum and yeah he'll, he'll just save it for later <laughs> mm. yeah so chief he wakes up with the rest of the ward to mcmurphy because he's singing in the latrine showers Uh, (laughs) everyone is sleeping thank you very much yeah love the the energy you bring into the ward but you know it's only 6 30 and i don't need to be out of bed for another half hour at this point you know you're, you're very interested in mcmurphy what he's coming to but then you know it's only his first night here and he's already woken yeah. you up out of your deep sleep and it's like ah oh, come on it's a beautiful song but <laughs> shush it, it makes me think of like uh if if uh someone new will start at my place of business and you know we're always listening to music and stuff and sometimes people will play it like 10 times louder than it has to be Ooh, and i'm yeah. just kind of like so this is just how this is gonna be huh but yeah you know, and you can't if i gotta, can't hear anybody talking it's just like the club oh perfect yeah. i always want being at work to feel like i'm in a loud packed bar <laughs> uh with uh some good good tunes oh yeah yeah Everyone is pretty shocked because he is doing this out of schedule, which is a huge no-no. You shower when they tell you to. And nobody sings in the ward. Like, nobody sang or laughed for God knows how long. 
And so once McMurphy's done with his shower, he steps out with only a towel and his cap. So a towel that's wrapped around his waist. And (laughs) (laughs) once he walks out, he asks the aide for the toothpaste. Uh, But the aide says that it's going against the policy of the cabinet being opened at 0645. So... This is one of those things here that I really can't, like, exactly pick a side. I've talked about, I've kind of talked about my thoughts on McMurphy being, like, if you knew this guy in real life and maybe you're in a bar, it might be kind of fun when he walks in and he's yelling and he buys everyone a beer, but Mm -hmm. you still might want to kind of keep him at arm's length. I understand the... The idea of, like, everything kind of being on a schedule, you know, you don't get toothpaste till 6.45. So I kind of understand that they want things to be on a schedule, but I also kind of understand McMurphy coming in and thinking, like, well, if I got my toothbrush in my hand right now, then what are we waiting for? You know? Yeah, well, that's the thing. McMurphy's one and only purpose is to, like, push the buttons, even though it might be something as minuscule as brushing your teeth even if even if it was like you know at seven o'clock or something like that and he wanted to brush his teeth at seven he would probably do that thing where he like still wanted him to open the cabinet early or something like that kind of like it makes me think of once again uh, a co-worker at my old job who, you know, everyone showed up at 8 in the morning or whatever, but he would show up at, like, 8.45 every day. So they started Ugh. scheduling him at 9, and then he started showing up at 9.45 every day. <laughs> like, yeah. what are we doing here, fella? Well, that's the thing. If you give Mc- McMurphy a little bit of leeway, he will push it, you know? Give him an inch and he'll take a mile. Oh, very good. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, exactly. Like, McMurphy... He starts mocking him and he says, oh, it would be crazy if people were to brush at 0630, 0620, 0625, etc. That would be kind of crazy, to be fair. Yeah. Could you imagine everyone brushing (laughs) their teeth at a a different time? (laughs) Please don't even make me imagine it. Yeah. So like I'm getting each argument, both sides. And so McMurphy, he sees some soap powder. Uh, in the distance and then he puts this on his toothbrush and he starts brushing his teeth with soap soap powder to rebel against this policy i don't think they make mint flavored soap powder (laughs) you know i've tried multiple hand soaps and i gotta say (laughs) even though it says mint it does not taste like mint (laughs) yeah and even though it smells so good (laughs) yeah you'd think it tastes better but uh Mm. Uh, it's only good mm, for getting the swear butter. Word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's only good for washing the swear words out of your mouth, not yeah. the gingivitis from your gums. You know, and it, I don't think I've swore this whole time uh, during this recording, so it worked. It really worked this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Modern science. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. The way McMurphy instigates this situation, it reminds Chief of his dad, and it takes him back to this time when he, he's living like on the land still, kind of, but it's it's on the reservation, I believe, and the government comes and they try to force his dad to sign a treaty that would give up his land, and 
in response, his dad just looks up at the sky and says, quote, Canada honkers up there. And then to which the clerks reply, quote, there's no geese up there. And he replies, uh, Chief's dad does. He says, there were the year before and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. And then he just keeps going on. And then the government clerks finally realize that this guy is not going to play ball. And he's just like playing them and making fun of them. I didn't understand this part when we were reading the book, but I think I do now. He tell, was tell making a, he he was the guy was saying you people came last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. Is that what he's saying? And he's like, We haven't budged yet or Yeah, pretty much. Like, uh, the the geese have always been here just like we have and he's basically telling these guys oh. to hell with your contract. Uh, you know, I've been here as long as these geese have been up here, even though they might not be there, like some native populations, you know? Yes. And I wish that I could somewhat expand on the native populations and anything like that going on in this time. But this book is literally all the information I have on it. I've never done any personal research on it, but it is a very unfortunate thing that happened like hundreds of years ago and still happens today yeah very 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 undertaught if i'm not mistaken well you yeah. know i only went to the one high school but <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, um but like each each scene that chief's dad is in um it, it is usually doing with these kind of situations where it is the government trying to take his land or you know just losing losing to the government and yeah it's i like these little flashbacks he has with his dad yeah they're interesting we're back into the present time and miss ratchet she enters the ward and she's getting uh, as big as a truck. He always says like a, tra- a truck or a tractor. And <laughs> Chief is like, oh, she's really huffing and puffing today. <laughs> and then, uh, but she stopped because McMurphy steps out of the latrine with his only his towel on. And, he's, <laughs> and uh, he stops and uh, he stops her by saying, quote, good morning, Miss Ratched. How's the things outside? <laughs> this is such a perfect mental image yeah. because we have this tractor of a woman. She's got the same expression on her face that is glued there for, you know, 12 hours a day when all of the patients threaten or dare to make eye contact with her. And you can imagine she's got the same posture. She's literally like, um, I, I'm kind of thinking of like, uh, those pictures people take where they take a picture every day for like 10 years and then it's like the same face but it just changes i kind of think about that for some reason only nothing ever changes it's always the same posture and the same manner of tone and the same expression on the skin colored enamel face and just seeing that lady who like i mean she thinks that she is in complete control because you know, she has been for the last 20 years, but yeah, she's like yep. all uh, wound up walking down the hallway. And then like uh, like a scene in a comedy, this guy wearing <laughs> a cap with goggles and like a white towel around his waist just comes out. And then you hear like the like the record <laughs> scratch. And then, you know, 
then this happens. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's a it's another force to be reckoned with. Um, yep. She asks, like, uh, where where's your clothes, McMurphy? And McMurphy acts like a kid, saying that he says my clothes were stolen during the night, and then uh, but really, an aide just forgot to issue him clothes for the morning. Um, so he's not out of the wrong. Like he's just like I really don't have clothes. Uh, <laughs> and then uh so she scolds the aide and she is obviously losing her cool and as the aide tries to hand him the set of clothes he winks at the nurse and lets go of the towel because he had his uh toothbrush in the other hand so like he has his <laughs> towel in one hand and he has his toothbrush in the other so he's like all right time <laughs> to change so he drops the towel and uh you think it's just gonna be the worst thing ever uh but i don't know i think it's even worse for Mur- uh nurse ratchet because it reveals mcmurphy's whale print boxers that he has underneath it's like these red whales all over these white boxers (laughs) i love a pair of boxers with just a bunch of red whales all over them or it makes me think of like the the classic like white ones with the red hearts on them yeah Yeah. oh man i want to i might need to invest in like a novelty pack of that stuff yeah (sighs) that's just fun he, he says that he got the boxers from, like, a, a college co-ed. So, once again, show, showing the person he is, he's bunking with these college girls. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, McMurphy's just, you know, kicking ass and taking names wherever he goes, I guess. Yep. And, wild, and, wild card of a man. Yep. <laughs> I cut the lines. I cut the brake lines. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the nurse, she takes a full minute to recover. And because this whole time she's looking like a machine that's malfunctioning. So for a whole minute, her, like, wires are just buzzing. And she's, like, and, like, just trying to figure out what the hell to do to handle this situation. Uh, she like she like reaches behind her back and pulls out a little like uh out of order sign that she hangs off of her nurse cap just sitting there for yeah. a second like and then and <laughs> yeah. then once she gets everything perfectly adjusted and all the wires are uh properly replaced because this probably like blew a fuse in her <laughs> box too so the, the check just, engine just light repl- is on <laughs> yeah just gotta replace some parts and she'll be right as rain yep uh, yep she'll be as good as new <laughs> check engine light <laughs> <laughs> so the next morning at breakfast mcmurphy starts making up a story about billy bibbit and this is the same guy who's like yeah, younger but he, he's like 30 years old but he looks like he could be like 20 and, yeah, uh, they say he's very childish in yeah, general. Yeah, a very young face, but he is like 30. And he starts talking about this guy, Billy, and uh, his mother is good friends with Nurse Ratched. And uh, in this story, he says that him and Billy were picking up two prostitutes and they were surprised by, quote, his famous 14 inches. And Billy, he's really embarrassed about this. He's like, oh, stop it, McMurphy. But it makes Uh him feel like really good to talk (laughs) since he complimented his 
uh, well, oh, <laughs> manlyhood. Well, I think that it probably just feels good to have this dude being chummy with you, even if you do hardly know him. This guy comes in and he's uh, immediately kind of like an old friend, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like I feel like McMurphy's energy may be a bit much, but uh, it doesn't completely seem like a horrible thing. Not right away, anyway. No, no. Like, uh, you know, some some of the stuff he does, it's like, unless it's gambling, he genuinely does seem to care about the well-being of these patients, it seems. Yeah. Um, or, or it comes off, too. And it comes off like that. So, yeah, after this story, uh, McMurphy... He starts throwing butter at the clock, taking bets as he does. So he's like, he's, you know, those little things you get at the cafe, just like those little sticks of butter in the oh, tin yeah. foil, whatever. Ooh, he's unwrapping so those. <laughs> yeah. They hit different. They really do. Mm, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he just starts flinging them at the clock, seeing if he can make it. And then, um, <laughs> one of the comments again i don't really know what he was supposed to mean by this but one of the chronics he says that the butter running down the wall is the uh symbol of the republican party i don't know if he just meant that it's failing or what because i think no, I'm doing no, this no. time you just you just aren't thinking hard enough you ain't researched hard enough I uh, I got such a good laugh out of this part of the book because I was like, ah, oh, the 1962 Republican Party was very similar to uh, a pad of butter sliding down a clock. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I don't know either. I just know that during this time, JFK was president. Oh, that makes sense because JFK debated Richard Nixon, who was a hot oh. mess on television when he was debating JFK because JFK wore makeup. And it, when JFK <sighs> won, Nixon uh, and the Republican Party was highly embarrassed. And then that's how they got into the Southern strategy for the next election. Ah, see, <laughs> it's perfect. See, I thought I, I pictured like uh, like the pad of butter sliding down the wall, like just a little chunk. And right. no, I suppose no, no, this no. book came out before he died. And <laughs> my one yeah. part <laughs> It's like Ken Kesey was the grass in the grassy knoll. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he knew it was coming the whole the, time. The entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, oh, this little stick of butter is JFK's brain. Yep. <laughs> oh. Oh man, yeah. I'll have to research that again. But I'm pretty sure that's that's the type of era we were in. Is when, uh, yeah, the Republicans got beat down so bad, and then they developed the Southern strategy, which uh, was the strategy to start. You you, you ever hear like um, whites have it the hardest and in job interviews and shit? Like that's the Southern strategy. It's like really empowering white working class people. Oh, uh, the South of the United <laughs> States Southern strategy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yep. And the, yep. So that's that's what their game plan uh, turned out to be, and it's unfortunately still what their uh, strategy is today. Um, but we could save that for a different podcast. 
Yeah, tune in for um, Cole's thoughts on politics. Yeah, I was just going to say, Cole talking to himself. <laughs> Cole talking to a wall. <laughs> so, all, you know what? Hey, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll join the podcast. I won't have my earbuds in. And I tell you what, I just got my copy of Watchmen by Alan Moore back last night. So I'll find something to do while you're talking about it. But I'll be here. It's like uh, every, every once in a while you might hear me cough into the microphone phone or something yeah. it's like the simpsons uh scene where man talks to sky <laughs> man talks to cloud <laughs> man talks to cloud yeah but oh man okay okay all right so mcmurphy he is soon called to be interviewed by dr spivey and dr spivey he's like nurse ratchet's boss but not really because she has full control over him and uh, but what so once he goes down there they talk a little bit and then uh once they return they, they come into the ward and they're like both have their they're they're being chummy and like they both have their arms around each other and they're laughing and they're both crying from laughter as if they are best friends and huh. um they're about to start a group session but the doctor interrupts saying that he and McMurphy went to the same high school and they should have a carnival because McMurphy planned the high school carnival back in the day, which Genius. must have been a banger, man. Like he remembers it. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> I <laughs> still think of it every night. Yeah, he's like, oh, R.P. McMurphy threw the best carnival. There was like at least 50 lights. <laughs> yeah, there um, were plenty of lights. We had one of those little uh cardboard walls that was that looked like water so that uh someone had like a a fishing rod that they put over the side you remember that yeah people listening you remember it too don't act like you don't that was the best part of any of that stuff he had two he had at least two bags he had at least two games of cornhole going at once it was crazy you should have saw it yeah (laughs) So the doctor, he also suggests that the room should be split, stating that McMurphy thought it would be a good idea to have the music played louder for the old people, uh, as if this was a kind gesture. And like, so McMurphy, he's obviously very mad about the music being played loudly, but there's Ratchet's excuse is, oh, the chronics love it. The older people love it. So he's like, why don't we just split it up? And that... And she just said, you know, you want to, she tried to flip it on him. She said, you want to deprive the chronics of the only thing they have, which is their, you know, sense of hearing. And if I may say too, if Dr. Spivey is bringing an idea up that he wants to get done, he probably shouldn't start it out with McMurphy said, (laughs) because (laughs) I don't think that the big nurse is interested in any of what uh, old Randall Patrick (laughs) is spitting out of his rot. Yeah, but that that's kind of what uh, the fact that McMurphy could infect this guy's brain with this idea and oh. for him to flip it on its head like Nurse Ratched and say it's a kind gesture for the older people. But it's really just because McMurphy doesn't want to listen to the damn music anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, once once McMurphy, McMurphy hears this, he's just kind of in the corner. He's like, oh, Dr. Spivey. And he's like waving his hand. He's like, oh, stop it. <laughs> and then uh, he also says that it hinders conversations kind of like uh, 
well, it's so loud. And, and then McMurphy, this was not his idea. <laughs> like he didn't even mention this, but the doctor is just going with this plan and he's saying, yeah, nobody can talk under this. And then the extra room is actually approved, but nurse ratchet is frustrated by this chief notes that this was only one of the many small battles McMurphy has won. He may have won the battle, but the war rages on. The war is (laughs) far from over. Yep. Yeah. We're going forward in time here and McMurphy, he's playing a monopoly game with the cutes. And during the game, Martini is hallucinating all yes. these different things on the board. And uh, and he's asking what is all over the board about three times. And then uh, he's like imagining like all these different like hundreds of houses instead of like the, I don't know, 20 that are on the board. Right. Um, and then one of the patients asks Martini to move his piece uh, 11 spaces. And <laughs> instead, Martini moves one of the houses. <laughs> and uh, the patient gets really mad. And Martini says, Ah, oh, they're all the same color. Why are you so mad? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be the thimble anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either um, I'm the house or I'm trading with Harding and I'm the race car now. Broom, <laughs> <yeah>, broom. <laughs> <laughs> he could probably have fun with that. <laughs> this shit's the mobile home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it's uh, Martini's turn. And instead of picking up the dice, he shakes the houses. <laughs> So he picks up all the houses and uh, he throws them on the board. And then uh, McMurphy obviously ends up winning the game. But uh, this whole scene was really funny. Anything with Martini is just very uh, humorous. (laughs) Very helpful to picture young Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah. So cute. Every time I think of Martini, I'm like, he's such a, just a cute man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, before he, he got twisted into the penguin role for Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, twisted, twisted sounds about right. Yeah, uh, I can't believe they did that to Martini. <laughs> yep. Uh, so at this point, McMurphy, he's trying to keep his cool because if you'll remember, he has to keep his cool and it he has to make Nurse Ratchet angry. As long as he's like just testing the water just a little bit, he's dipping his toes in yep. uh, and keeps his cool and he makes Nurse Ratched mad, that's considered a win. Uh, it's only when the other patients don't side with him is when he gets angry. And so McMurphy, he wants to watch the World Series, and he's trying to hold a vote. One of the patients says that Nurse uh, Ratched said that if they don't see the 6 o'clock news, it would mess up their schedule and mess up with their treatment, which is just, so, once again, a pathetic excuse. Um, she's like, well, uh, Mr. Mr. Chaswick, uh, what if you miss your six o'clock news and the White House blows up? And then he's like, oh, <laughs> McMurphy, we got to watch the news. Like, that's the, how she does it. She's manipulative. <laughs> very, very manipulative. I mean, obviously, but uh, she's really fine-tuned her craft over the last 20 years or whatever oh. like the oh i know just what to say to that guy to make him start ripping his hair out i know what to yeah. say to that guy to make him run and throw up in the toilet yep exactly like she and she, she uses knows it to her advantage Ugh. oh she she uses it to her advantage and she takes advantage 
um, yes. which is disgusting. And so they hold the vote, but they are short, leaving McMurphy very angry. And he tries to convince the other patients to vote, but they're scared to. And he calls them chicken shits multiple times each time this happens, like when they go against his vote. So McMurphy, he's explaining that he's going to knock out a window and he's going to take another patient with him. The only one that voted for him was Cheswick. And so he's like, yeah, I'm just we got to find a way to knock out a window. So he starts to look around the room for objects that could break the window and bets that he can pick up the heaviest thing in the room, which is this giant control panel. He starts betting on it and everyone places money saying he can't do it. He goes up to the panel saying, quote, stand out of the way. Sometimes I use up all the air around me and grow men faint from suffocation. So he's just like, get ready. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, the big, the big caboose is coming here. (laughs) Yeah. So basically he's like, look out. I'm going to exert my whole, my, my whole body to lift this thing up. And uh, so he bends down and he's about to grab it. And the men are almost convinced that he can do it because he, really exerts himself and his veins start to pop and for a moment the cement does crackle beneath him he gets up with his hands bleeding like he's given up but he he did like you know he gave such an effort and he knew fully well that he couldn't do this but it's just to show that the patients could trust him and uh, once he's done he throws the money on the floor and he says quote but I tried, though, God damn it! I sure as hell did that much now, didn't I? End quote. He's not wrong. Yeah. So it was a very cool scene. It was like, you know, if I fully know well that I can't, like, do something, like, overthrow the system, I'm going to at least try. Like, he's, he's showing that even though he can't lift this heavy item, he's going to try his best for these guys, which Whoa. is really cool. If I may quote a famous green tiny man from a movie, do or do not, there is no try. Yes, use the Schwartz. Yeah, yoga. <laughs> you yoga. know, from us. Uh, yes. Uh, Spaceballs. The Space Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but exactly. Same, same thing here. Yeah, and then uh, Chief... He's having another flashback, and he recalls that the old ward that he was in was much worse. It didn't have TV or pictures, and he recalls one of the PR officers saying that someone would be crazy to want to leave the current ward. Like, it's just so Uh nice when we put up the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not the best way to put it, but... (laughs) <laughs> you'd have He's, to be mentally unstable to want to leave a place like this and we, we got this nice picture of this tree look at yeah. it <laughs> There's just like, taste that orange juice yeah drink your grape juice uh it's mm. great um you know during this time chief is still on the fence about the rebellion that mcmurphy is presenting and he explains that he would find himself in the fog like all the time and freak out so he would just get used to it because once he would like come out of the fog, he would be end up he would end up in the shock shop, which is where they do the electroshock therapy. So instead of freaking out, he just learned to accept the fog and be quiet. And 
I mean, when he was freaking out, he got this shock therapy like hundreds of times, uh, which was crazy. And Can't be good for you. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine one treatment of shock therapy is good for you. I really don't know. But after the release of this book and the movie, the use of electroshock therapy went down. I don't know about nice. its benefits today. It's still in effect, I'm pretty sure. But I right. think the whole like horror of it came from this book. I, and I just don't know if it is effective today. I really don't, but it is a scary uh, technique. Putting two, like, giant electric balls, like, by either temple and then just flipping a switch and send it. I think they describe it as, like, a split second and it doesn't even hurt, but afterwards it feels like you had, like, a bolt of electricity shot through your brain. Uh, it was like one one shotgun of Bud Light, you know. It, it just felt really good. Mm. Uh, yummy. Uh, <laughs> uh, mm. Or Bud Light Lime, maybe. Sure. I, I think I haven't had it for a couple of years, but I even thought that that Bud Light Orange they had was pretty good. Uh, like that, or maybe the Sprite from McDonald's. You know, it just makes it makes you tingle. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, so another meeting, like figure quotes meeting, has commenced. And this time, uh, Billy Bibbit is being roasted while uh, Chief, he's just like feeling the the fog is getting thicker. Because once again, they're back to their old ways of just tearing each other apart during these therapy sessions. Nurse Ratched, she asks about Billy's failed marriage proposal. And he says that when he proposed... The girl just laughed. Um, this is two for two on the big nurse <sighs> humiliating people during these meetings. She knows yeah. how uh, how inadequate Harding feels around his wife. So she goes, so Harding, what's all this about you having a beautiful wife that you don't feel good enough for? Billy, what's this about the proposal that fell through? I'm, I got my hand, you know clutched around the lot of you so tightly and I don't want to even let a finger go so I gotta just keep hammering into your heads how or why you're here and yeah. that you're here yep and I, I know we were a bit hard on Harding the last episode but like I just found this out I and I don't know if it was mentioned in the movie but he is he's just homosexual like he's just a gay man that is oh. uh yeah, I, I don't really? remember reading that in the book, but he is no. gay. Um, yeah, he, huh. it's just he's he's in the ward because society won't accept him, basically. Um, Unfortunate. Yeah, so sorry, Harding. Did not mean to call you a mean name in the last episode. Yeah, and I'm not sorry, Harding, but Cole shouldn't have called you a mean name. I remember, I remember the bad words, and I remember all the abuse hurled at Harding. <laughs> I was there. I was there with Nurse Ratched. Me not saying anything at the time will haunt me for the rest of my days. <laughs> I really should have stood up for you that day. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, so, yeah, once again, like, they're just making fun of this 
a traumatic event like <laughs> that Billy went through when he proposed and she just laughs and the fog is just getting thicker and thicker with the laughs and then uh, it starts to clear once McMurphy starts to talk and yeah. <laughs> and then this whole time Chief is like kind of like comfortable and he's sitting there he's like oh the fog has come once again I'm so calm and then McMurphy talks and he's like what the fuck and like he's where's he's my very, fog yeah he's like take me back <laughs> oh man uh, but it's very interesting because like just McMurphy interrupting this meeting is enough to clear the whole fog and yep uh mcmurphy he once again proposes a vote to watch the world series and nurse ratchet thinks he's being too imposing on the group and he's just like you're really not thinking about the opinions of the other patients and all this bull crap and um once again she says that some of these patients won't be able to watch the nightly news <laughs> it's like and she uh, hammers that fear in once again that what if a national disaster happens and you're six hours late um and then mcmurphy he asks again and some of the patients ask the nurse to let him hold the vote which is like what the heck is happening like they're all like nurse just let him hold the vote <laughs> like uh which is like the the it's slowly showing that uh, these guys are getting on with, with McMurphy. I wonder if she herself, obviously, the second McMurphy walked through the door, they sized each other up and they're going toe to toe through the whole thing. But I wonder if she is even a little bit nervous, you know, maybe holding the vote enough times means that more hands will go up and then she won't be able to argue when. 20 out of 25 patients want to, you know, watch the game or something like that. Or maybe she's just, you know, not willing to go out of the schedule. Could be a little well, bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Well, it's just the thing with uh, dictatorships that we're seeing in uh, Belarus, in Europe. You where don't want people thinking for themselves. Yeah, you don't want to have a democracy. You want where you get 98% of the vote every time. And when it's you incredible hold the, how that works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the people love him. No, they do not. But, uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things. Like the scariest thing for an authoritarian government is for people to speak their minds and hold an actual vote or any form of democracy. Like that's what this book is all about. It's like standing up to the government like these – uh, like an authoritarian government. She lets them hold the vote, surprisingly, and 20 of the 40 patients raise their hands, not the, not a majority. And Chief, he describes it as McMurphy going around like he's in Vietnam, or I guess Korea, because Vietnam was just ramping up. But, uh, and go- he was actually in Korea. Yep, he was actually in Korea. And what was he- it, the Silver Star or something? Yeah, he got a one for metal. Yeah, making or getting uh, springing an escape from a POW camp. A communist POW camp. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's pretty righteous. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, that's a pretty good thing to do is to get your fellow boys out of there. And it's the exact same thing here where uh, Chief is describing each time they raise their hand, he's envisioning McMurphy getting him out of the fog or like or like a prisoner camp kind of thing so but once again they only had 20 votes and 
the nurse, she closes the vote and McMurphy gets very angry and he goes over to the chronics trying to convince them to vote and they just start mumbling. They can't understand what he's saying. And he finally gets to chief and he says that McMurphy pulled them from the fog unwillingly. He's like, yeah, McMurphy put these wires on my back and pulled me out. And, uh, and chief ends up raising his hand and, but the nurse once again says that the voting has closed, but she is very angry that this whole vote happened and so many people have joined McMurphy. So changes are coming. Yeah, she's probably freaking out a little bit. Once the evening chores start, McMurphy says it's time for the game and walks past the nurse station and Nurse Ratchet is just looking at him behind the window and he pulls out a chair in front of the TV and he turns it on and he blasts the volume up to drain out the the, the music that's playing. And he says, quote, Ooh-wee! Man, all I need now is a can of beer and a red hot, end quote. Nice. And so everyone is just like, you know, it's one of those things where you see a public freak out and everyone's like staring to see what's happening next. And they all look at uh, Nurse Ratchet to see what her reaction is going to be. So everyone's just waiting and she turns off the TV. However... He is still watching the TV screen and he kicks back while he lights up a cigarette. And uh, the book says that the reflection is just him in the chair smoking with the cap over his eyes. And he sh- she starts yelling, quote, you are uh, uh, under the jurisdiction of me. Uh, and she just starts shaking her fists. And so she's like really losing it and she can barely tell him that, hey, I'm the boss here. And Harding, he silences her by pulling up a chair sitting next to McMurphy and all the other patients put down their mops or brooms and join McMurphy watching the blank TV screen as Nurse Ratchet is running around screaming in the background. Ooh, your time's about up here, nurse. Yep. There's a new uh, uh, nurse in town by the name of Uh, McMurphy. Yeah. RP. He might as well be the new nurse in town. Yes. I think think people are probably more afraid of, um, more afraid of Ratched than, uh, you know, other authority figures, at least inside this ward, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But like this act is so small, but I mean, it's just these little acts that really show uh, rebellion and the fact that he got every patient to join him. It's pushing the buttons for Nurse Ratched, her robotic uh, buttons. And yeah, it's we'll, we'll see how we'll see how this plays out. It's a bold move yeah. uh, played by McMurphy, but Yeah, I just thought that was such a cool thing that uh, he's just sitting there watching a blank TV screen as if nothing happened. Like she, he's just like totally uh, unfazed by Nurse Ratched doing this. They're like, uh, yeah, you could unplug the TV from the wall, you could cut the cord, but that won't change where I'm sitting or what I'm looking at. You know what I mean? Because exactly, like that. There's nothing scarier to nurse ratchet's regime uh that is an idea 
you know, like an idea is to quote Legion, the show Legion, it starts out as an egg and then it bursts and then uh, you got a full chicken now. <laughs> You're dealing with That's a full how- chicken, nurse. An idea is a chicken. But in, in Legion, like it turns into like this big monster instead of a chicken. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it's describing this parasite, this this parasite that's infecting Legion. But in this case, it's McMurphy. He's like this parasite that's come to the ward and he's going to flip it on its head from here on out. So, so in the TV show Legion, there's a literal egg? No. So it's basically like... Uh, a monologue and it's talking about how an idea starts out as an egg or whatever and then it hatches and then it's visualized their egg got out of control yep exactly so but yeah that's the end of part one uh we'll be starting part two and three here soon so yeah but yeah very very cool part one i really enjoyed it uh do you have any lingering thoughts on this part the book just keeps on spinning man right away we know that mcmurphy has a bit of a wild streak and him and the nurse don't like each other and uh like you were saying this first part ends perfectly with i remember saying that i couldn't remember um where specifically part one ended but now that we have it written out here i obviously do but i remember it being very impactful because we'll see that part one is almost like when the nurse has the entire place under her control, under her thumb. The beginning. And and then, yeah, it ends with not only McMurphy, but now he's got a couple boys to back him up too. So it ends perfectly with like uh, not quite the toppling of the dictatorship, but, you know, a step in the right direction if that's your goal. The pieces are starting to fall. Yes, sir. And, well, we'll see if it uh, works out in McMurphy's favor as he continues. Uh, This is the small act of rebellion. It's only going to get bigger uh, as he he continues here. And as he continues to adapt. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's uh, that's what we'll. That's where we'll continue with parts two and three, so stay tuned for that. Yeah. If you think that you're going to listen to the first two parts and not listen to part three, what are you doing with your life? And if you're not listening to this podcast in general, I don't know how I'm talking to you because you're not listening, but you should be listening. You should be following us on Instagram over at the Bad Apple Book Club, too. Yeah. I want people... I mean, I know it's a tall order typing something into your phone, but I want people to send things to read. You know what I mean? Read it's just fun. or, you know, interact like Yeah. Yeah, we're we're here for you guys. We're we're uh, a podcast for the people. Yep. Yeah. Um I personally only have about 30 pages left of our Halloween book that we're going to be covering. Ooh, yes. Um, and I'll be getting, I'll be, I'll be get cracking on the outline here soon. I'm excited for that one. I'm just excited for October in general. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Gonna, Spooky season is coming, and uh, the store on base is putting up their decorations and everything. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Oh man, you know what? I'll say it's okay because it's Halloween. 
But I hate when they start putting Santas in the windows the day after Thanksgiving. Sometimes they do it the day of Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yep. Ridiculous. Let it breathe. Yeah. Let, let I think Thanksgiving have its time. That's probably why I don't like Christmas music as much as I did. It used to literally be like my favorite thing in the world. But then when I heard them start playing it in October... I'm like, okay, well, you want me to be sick of it by the time I'm actually supposed to be listening? <laughs> y'all really want me. Here? You really want y'all really want me to hate Christmas, don't you? It's yeah, the- you really want me in that Christmas spirit. But with that, I suppose this has been another incredible episode of the Bad Apple Book Club. I've been Lucas Nord, and I'm Cole, and I have been Cole Lang, still Cole Lang, uh, and I wish you a good night. Or day. And, and, um, whatever you're doing right now, just take it easy, alright? Yeah, yeah. Have a nice night. Yep. trouble with that podcast you call me of course you know oh yeah i can always do nothing with it